Hi, everybody. This is Tony Kahn, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. One of the real pleasures of getting older, and, and there are a few, is having old friends. Today's story comes from Mark and Sherry Grashow about a round trip they took to a very special place in the Fijian Islands that took them, oh, only uh, 28 years to complete. We call it Old Friends. When we finally rounded Mount Washington, the seas turned rough again. Sherry began to really feel the effects. She put her head in my lap and cried a little. I just held her. In the kitchen of his brownstone in Brooklyn, New York, Mark Rashow reads from a journal he kept 28 years ago. Rocked by choppy seas, they come ashore on the island of Kadavu and it started walking. There was a pretty village tucked neatly among the palms. Children everywhere. The villagers took them to the home of a man called Nathani, who was the son of the local chief. The men sat on one side of the room, and the women sat on the other. And, and, and we, we sat also, with the chief. We sat in the front with the chief, and we, they give us bowls of kava, and we clap our hands. And so began a four-day visit that they never forgot. I felt like I was a king. I was, uh, everyone was friendly, everybody was open. People wanting to touch me or talk to me or say hello or just the graciousness and the caring. I remember that more than anything. They had no television, no radio, no electricity. And as far as Mark and Sherry could tell, no interest in the wider world beyond the sea. What did I cook? Where was my kitchen? Those are the kinds of questions they asked. I mean, I don't recall any questions on the war in, uh, in Vietnam, in Cambodia. I don't recall any questions about the uh, Watergate hearings. Life was simple there. You just took care of your basic needs and the rest of the world did not affect you. Mark and Sherry showed me some pictures that they'd taken back then. Surrounded by smiling Fijian faces with a blue Pacific at her back, Sherry looks like the happy village kid that never left. It was amazing to me that life could be so different and yet so familiar. You had to figure out food, you entertained yourself, you talked about what the women wanted for their children. We had such a, an extraordinary time in this village that the idea of going back and revisiting some of these people and actually standing in the same place was an enormous attraction. Last month, with nothing to guide them but their snapshots of the village and the surrounding mountains as landmarks, Mark and Sherry found their way back. One man who actually lived in the village, when he saw the pictures, said to us, when the chief sees these pictures, he will fly. He takes us back into the village, back to the house that we lived in 28 years ago, and there was Nathani, the, the chief now, in front of a huge kava bowl with about 10 to 12 men sitting around, and we were back. We walked in. And we greeted him, and he kept saying, old friends, old friends. And as we passed around the pictures, we would hear someone say, that's my brother, that's my brother, that's me, that's me. The chief's son. He was seven at the time, and now 28 years later, he's 35. And it was the same face, the same smile, and it was, it was, it was wonderful. Changes had come to the village. 
There was a landing field now with a grass runway, two small hotels, and the children walked around in t-shirts emblazoned with emblems of North Carolina State University and images of Beavis and Butthead. But the clothing was second and third hand, part of the flow of goods that had always moved through the docks and markets of the island, further and further from the world where those logos made sense. And the cooking house, where Nathani's wife had once made their meals, now looked neglected and run down, as if, like her, it had sickened and died. I, when I tell the story to other people about going back to Kandavu, I always tell it as a wonderful story. But there is a piece of it that was upsetting. A lot of it has to do with me. Not them, with me, and how I view what's important to my life. Intellectually, I know that you should be able to find peace within yourself. But for myself, that's not what my life was about. And to see this village was still in the same place it was 28 years ago, and perhaps a little bit poorer, you know, more holes in their clothes, and was, was a bit of a letdown. I would have liked to have seen a new school, a few better look, newer cooking pots, would have made me feel like they were doing better. We came back to a village that said, it's not a question of doing better, we're doing. We live our lives, our lives are simpler, they have fewer expectations. But it does need to move forward. It's a debate that I'm not comfortable with, that I don't know the absolute answer to. The most important thing that traveling has given me is the ability to see that the goals that I base my life on are not shared by the entire world, that people value other things, and that I have the choice of saying, yes, this is what I'm aiming for, or maybe there are other options. What keeps coming back to me is that people, in a lot of ways, all want the same thing. And in the craziness of the world, we forget that it's just people with families. Uh, and, and a lot of us, in that way, we're all the same. There are moments that are such, such big highs that to suddenly stand in this village and see him again was, was almost overwhelming. Uh, to be in another little village somewhere and meeting people and them greeting us and us greeting them it just fills me up, and in some ways that has always been within me, and that hasn't changed much, much at all. And when I sat down with Nathani again at the village, and I went to him and I said, I wanted to come back and thank you once more for taking us in all those years ago. And he took my hands in his, and we just stood there and looked at each other and remembered each other from 28 years ago. It transcends other things. It fills your heart. It's just a moment of joy and delight. And it's magic. Old friends from Mark and Sherry Grashow. I caught up with them the other day in a little corner of the world where the phone service could have been better their home in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Hi, Tony. I can barely hear you. Very loud, Sherry. Oh. Sherry, are you doing stuff in the kitchen? No. Now there's a buzz on the line. Can you hear me better now? No. 
But I'm gonna try another phone. Hold on. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the second floor. Phone. Oh, good. Okay, okay. You had one of these cheaper phones. They're all cheap. I asked them since that trip to Fiji. Now that they're both retired, uh, if they've been on the road much. Our son married a wonderful Japanese woman. We had a wedding here and then a wedding in Japan. So we spent three weeks in Japan traveling around, and then had the glorious experience of a Shinto wedding. Um, in a small fishing village in the north. Unbelievable. We hardly even recognized our daughter-in-law. <laughs> we were fed wonderful foods. We were given exquisite kimonos to wear. They took us out on fishing boats, and we caught raw you know, oysters and ate them on the boats and scallops and had barbecues. And it was extraordinary. And Sherry took Japanese lessons just so she could speak to them a little bit. And she actually gave us a speech in Japanese at the wedding, which was well-received. Wow. Although I'm not sure exactly what I said. For about a year, I studied <laughs> Japanese in an attempt to bring the families together. But it's a very difficult language. She was terrific. <laughs> it was just a wonderful adventure in another culture that was very different and yet very welcoming. So it was a fabulous trip once again. What is it about you guys that seems to make you welcome wherever you go? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that it's a basic tolerance for differences. Yeah. I think then also we're pretty open and honest and what you see is what you get. A lot of people change the world or try to through institutions of one kind or other. You tend to do it one person at a time. Exactly. Yeah. That's certainly what happened in, in Zimbabwe. What, what's with Zimbabwe? Oh, <laughs> we've started a whole... I'm going to I'm gonna stop them right there. I'm here with uh, Gary Mott in the studio, and I'm going to stop them, Gary, because, well, I feel a Morning Stories Part 2 coming on, the grass house yeah. in Zimbabwe. <laughs> These people, you know, I don't have friends like that. Aren't they amazing? None of my friends go to Fiji. <laughs> going someplace where there are no trappings of modern life. Money, clothes, mm -hmm. and escape. I just want to go there just to be someplace where the only focus is on the next meal. They have no idea what they're going to do next. But uh, as we'll hear in next week's story, Zimbabwe, uh, the Grashows Part 2, the, a little trip has really turned into a massive project for them that may end up influencing the lives of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Speaking of ripples, one little <laughs> ripple that rippled across uh, the screens of uh, iTunes users, the WGBH Splash. Now, wait a second. You better tell people what a splash is if they don't know. A splash is one of those tiles at the top of iTunes. Okay, the big ones. Yeah, the big ones. Three ones that keep on, well, rippling, they, right? They fade in and out. Okay, and then underneath them, there are uh, other things, and, and those uh, are known highly technically as... As swooshes. Swooshes. Why? Well, uh, why? because <laughs> when you click on the arrow, they swoosh they on, on by. swoosh. And then underneath them, there's yet another category of things, aren't well, there? Well, the brick. The brick. Those are bricks. And they just stay there. We are a splash. We are a splash. WGBH Public Broadcasting is what it says. You click on that and you're taken to the WGBH Room, mm -hmm. which houses all of the podcasts that emanate from our mothership here. NOVA, the World Technology. American uh, Experience. Podcast, American uh, Experience. Video, audio. Hours and hours of new stuff coming out of this room all the time, but oh, no, yeah. no furniture. Lots of opportunities to subscribe and enjoy. Well, I make this promise. If ever there is going to be furniture in the WGBH room, one of the people who's going to make it possible is the benefactor who's made our podcast possible from the start.
Ipswich, a leader in file transfer software. That's I-P-S-W-I-T-C-H. And check us out online as well, wgbh.org slash morningstories. And we love the feedback, morningstories at wgbh.org. And we'll be back with another morning story, The Crash House Part 2, next week. So see you then. <laughs>